Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Alrighty, everybody. It's good to see you again today. Thanks so much for coming out. I don't know why. The microphone seems really hot today. Sometimes, well, I just don't understand how these things are done. I seem to put it in the same spot every time I do this, but sometimes I get a ton of red lines when I talk, and other times I don't. Which is why, once again, we are so thankful for Brian who just voluntarily takes care of all that stuff. So you guys just hear a pretty consistent sound all the way through. And I got to tell you, I couldn't do it without him. Honestly, could not do it. All right. So thank you, Brian. And of course, thank you to my beautiful daughter who does the voices that don't sound like me. She is a gifted young lady and an amazing mom. And shout out to Anna McEwen. Ha. <laughs> She's awesome. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Another shout out to Anna. She does all the little promo things. She goes, she searches and does the script and all that sort of thing. So all those little announcements that I put out on Facebook, again, couldn't do it without help. Thank you very much, Anna. You are amazing. All right. So today, much like last week, last week we did a lot of uh, non-biblical uh, non, yeah, non-biblical verses. Like we didn't work with, with a lot of verses last week because there's a lot of blank spaces in these verses. I mean, <laughs> dozens, dozens of years. Uh, and again, the Bible is written like a story. These verses are outlines, points that you don't want to miss, but it allows for a lot of conversation to take place. And we're going to have one of those conversations today. We are going to actually technically, we are going to deal with several verses today. We're going to deal with verses 11 through 15 of uh, chapter 2. But what I what I wanted what what I ended up doing as I as I really started thinking and I, I just I call it meditation and and the, one of the ways that I meditate is by using what I call sanctified imagination. I I immerse myself in the story and just start thinking about the character. And as I think about the character, like things start falling out and I just start I just start writing down these these processes. So that's what we're going to do a little bit of uh, today. So verse 11 it says one day after Moses had grown up. Now we kind of dealt with that part last week. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting this fellow Hebrew? The man said, who are you? Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me the way you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses had fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. So we're not going to deal with a whole lot of verse 15, I don't think. But but it is, uh, yeah, it, we'll, we'll touch on it for sure. So uh, in the culture of Moses, you got to picture him. He's growing up. Uh, he's highly educated, basically at a genius level on all fronts. Remember, he was a musician, an artist, 
uh, philosopher. Um, he understood languages, even though he had a, a stutter. He could speak multiple languages. He was a mathematician. He anticipated the projection of where uh, education was going or where his teacher was going, and he, he came to class prepared. He played with things that actually increased his education and, and weren't like what we would call toys that children would normally play with. So this is Moses. And because pretty much all we have is the movie version in our head or the card, you know, uh, some version of a cartoon, what he did every day was learn to be the next Pharaoh. And in doing so, he would have also been present at a lot of uh, events. He would have met multiple ambassadors and merchants from around the world. He would have understood that his role was to project control, project uh, authority, project uh, understanding, and and uh, what do I want to say? Uh, arrogance. He would have been, you know, definitely projecting arrogance as, yes, I'm the next pharaoh. He would have stood next to his grandfather. He would have brought him honor. He would have he would have brought him. Uh, you know, he would have spoken of him highly. He would have deferred to him in in at least political humility, even if he thought his grandfather was wrong. Like he knew what to do to be a success, and he kept learning. Remember, he had that kind of mind. He didn't just do what he was told. He understood why he was why he was doing it, and he anticipated how to do it better, how to actually train and prepare in a more uh, complete manner so that when the time came for him to run the country, he would be ready. Now, he understood as a, as a prince and as a general and as a brilliant thinker, he understood why his people were enslaved. He understood the systematic enslavement of the Hebrews over the last hundred years, over the last well, it wasn't probably full seven generations, but it was close after all the, probably at least five generations. And, and I would think that someone of his brilliance, he understood, listen, we're, we're actually making these people enemies. We need to be making them our friends. They might not want to intermarry and integrate into our culture and our people, but Academically, it's clear if we make them our enemy, then they definitely will side with our enemy. But if we make them our friends, if we make life a little easier for them, then maybe they be, they actually work for us. Maybe they help us if an enemy comes against us. So in that in that context is where my imagination starts to run a little bit. So just if <laughs> bear with me as this is currently my podcast. So here we go. I think Moses became an advocate for better treatment of the Hebrews, for less beatings, for less hours, to put a little higher value on their lives by giving them education, teaching them the uh, multiple languages, not just the language that they spoke. You know, as, as Hebrews, they would have learned their personal language. But he's like, let's teach them more. Let's get them more educated. Let's not beat them as much. Let's give them a day off to worship, to do what they, it is they want to do. And that, uh, that mindset is, is something that a logical thinker would have. It's not that I think he was against 
slavery. And there's there's a that's another whole interesting conversation when it comes to biblical teaching. Is the Bible against slavery? Because I think the principle of God's kingdom is freedom. But clearly in the New Testament, there's conversations to those who are enslaved how to behave. And there's you know conversations to the masters on how to treat their servants and their and 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 you know where do servants come from and uh, clearly a lot of them are abducted and there's there's human trafficking so there's it's it's a complicated conversation and please have some fun with it in your mind but it's it's one of those subjects that I think a lot of preachers don't touch on we just kind of let it be you know we we make the application and say well you know servants are the same as as employees, so just, you know, treat your employer this way, employers t- treat your... And, and there's definitely some principles there. But the culture of heaven is freedom. The, the main, one of the main principles of, of uh, the kingdom of God and, and of love is freedom. So, you know, can God love freedom but also give you principles on how to behave with honor and respect toward those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bob's like, are we going to talk about this today? Or are you going back to the book of, uh, to the story of Moses? <laughs> well, Bob, that's a fair question. And yes, we, we are going to go back to Moses. So I think he's advocating for king- kingdom principles here. I think he's advocating for more, more freedom. Now the Egyptians, remember they, they see these people, these people, these Hebrews, as a tribe that started out way out in Babylon, right? They they were under Nimrod. They were under already under you know in essence a dictator way back in the day, and they moved. The family of Abraham moved to Ur, and they hung out there for about twenty years. Again, not really. They expanded their wealth. They expanded their possessions. They expanded their people. But then they moved from Ur. They didn't stay there. They moved and they traveled all around the Fertile Crescent, that whole trade route. They followed it. And ultimately, they landed in Canaan. They owned no land, save one little cave where Abraham's wife was buried. And that's it. That's it. So here they are. They moved, you know... When, when they needed food, they moved to Egypt. Now, I know that that's a distortion of the story, but you understand from their perspective, that's pretty much what they see. You needed food. Joseph happened to be here, and you moved in. And, this, and, and, and not only did you move in, you moved into the greatest piece of property we own, and you became incredibly uh, wealthy. And influential. So even though they they definitely acknowledged Joseph and the fact that he was a Hebrew and that he saved the nation and that he brought them into not just a recovery of a famine, but actual prosperity during the famine, they understand all that, but they look at Joseph as a God's gift to Egypt. This was this was a gift of the gods to Egypt, and it's kind of the way that they view uh, Moses. It's kind of like, all right, he is a Hebrew. But clearly the gods gave him to us. The, the Nile rebirthed him 
out of the water into, into our culture. So when he would advocate for the Hebrews, and I get this all from the fact that he, when he saw the two Hebrews fighting, or not, not even that, he said he went to see his own people. Like he understood who he was because of his name. He understood who he was because of where he came from. It, not, you know, it it was an it created an aura about him, but it didn't. It did. It also reminded him where he was. Where, I mean, where he came from. Sorry. He could be in the palace, and he could listen to policies being made regarding the Hebrews, and he kept thinking, "But that's who I am." Like they're talking about me. It's kind of like when when you. Uh, <laughs> When you experience something at the office, let's say let's say you're a manager and you hear somebody complaining about people who run the office and you think, I mean, they're complaining right to you. They're talking to you and you think, but you're like, I am, you're talking about me. You're asking, you know, <laughs> it's great that you feel comfortable talking to me, but you're actually talking about me. So like, what's going on here? I think Moses probably experienced a lot of that when he was in the courts of the of the, of the Egyptians, because his grandfather would have been making the rules on this. His grandfather would have been the final word on this. Moses, Moses definitely probably had room to make comments and give suggestions to his grandfather, but he had to be really careful because this is about politics. Even though there was a, a dominant pharaoh one that had become a, a dynasty, so to speak, a, a, a dictator, a king. There was still the families of the other, I think, was it 10? Other 10, no, nine, other nine governorships. There were still influential ambassadors, uh, people that, you know, we wanted, Egypt wanted to be at peace with. There were a lot of things to be considered, and Moses was brilliant enough and genius enough to understand all that. So his suggestions would have been subtle, and they would have been incremental. He didn't stand up and say, we need to free the slaves. We need to free the slaves. No, he would have been calculated in his, pol in his politics. And he would have been in a place of understanding that as a prince— and, and the next ruler of Egypt, he was playing the long game. He, was, he understood, I, I can't make moves now that's going to jeopardize my grandfather's position, but I can, I can make suggestions now and watch reaction to prepare me for when I run Egypt. And when I have to sit in these meetings, I can recall what these people said about my people, about my own people. It's not that he didn't. I, I believe Moses loved the Egyptians. I believe that Moses understood and appreciated the fact that he was raised in the palace and educated by the finest educators in the world. I don't think Moses, you know, was was uh, belittling of that. He understood that he came into this world and carried a heavy burden of leadership. And all of his training of leadership came from the Egyptian concepts came from the you know the, the you know Greek philosophers came from African think tanks like he he had a genius level ability to run things but he also understood they're not I don't run things yet like his ability to play politics and and gain understanding of what people were doing 
had to be had to be fascinating. So the Hebrews, of course, they keep growing. They have no real home. They have no real leader. And Moses is a great leader. He's looking at his own people going, I, I could lead them. Like he's looking at their numbers thinking, I'm thinking they run about a million, maybe two. Some people think that they go up to four million by the time they leave Egypt. I, I don't know. I don't, nobody knows. Some people think there are only like 10,000 of them. So again, have fun with that. Do, what, do whatever you want. We'll talk about that again, I'm sure, when we actually leave Egypt. But I think they're running a couple million, maybe not at this time. Maybe they run a million at this time. I don't know. But I think he looks at them and he sees people in need of leadership. He sees people in need of inspiration. He sees people who, who if they did unite, really could be a powerful, influential force in the nation. And maybe in his own way, he looks at it and thinks, that's the way I can transform Egypt. That's the way I can change the way we do things and we could do them better. Maybe I'm born not just to rule Egypt, but to rule the Hebrews as well. And maybe that's where I can start. And I think he continues to try and make life better for them. And it's frustrating. He knows their politics. He knows their history. He knows Egypt's racist policies. He knows their attitudes toward the Hebrews. He knows attitudes and desires of his grandfather toward the Hebrews and his mother toward the Hebrews. And he understands how the common people think about the Hebrews. And all of this goes into his decision-making abilities and, and suggestions. Now, in verse 11, it says he went up out of, out, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them in their hard labor. <clears throat> oh, I had to get a drink there. Whoo, I feel much better. Now, again, we, as you know, I try, I, I always tend to notice little things like this. There's no time in this. We don't get this as a one-day event. This could have been done on a regular basis because I believe Moses really tried to lessen the physical beatings that were going on. And he would personally go out amongst his, quote, his own people to observe their labors. Not that he was against the labors right now. He was against the beatings and he wanted to personally lend his gravitas of presence to the taskmasters at hand. He wanted them to see that they were being observed. I believe that Moses had a reputation as somebody who wanted to slow down the beatings. He had a reputation as somebody who wanted to do good things for the Hebrews. And I believe he had an antagonist of a taskmaster the leader, maybe, of the taskmasters, somebody who would have been periodically in the courts of, of Egypt advocating for more beatings, advocating for more work and less freedom. I believe that he had a, an antagonist, and Moses, Moses was not going to back down. Moses understood his position. Moses understood his ability to influence, and he was like, I am not backing down from this slave beater. 
And I have a feeling many times the two of them would, in essence, clash in the politics of what's going on in Egypt. <clears throat> and at some level, the, the, the taskmasters kept, quote, winning. And sometimes it wasn't necessarily that they got to do more beatings, but the fact that Moses' suggestions weren't implicated, Im- implemented, implicated. Thank you, Bob. Uh, implemented. And I think that every day Moses would walk out there, and again, he had an entourage, he was a prince, he had gorgeous clothing, perfect makeup, he was wearing the headdress. It was intimidating for Moses to come onto a worksite, and I think that he would often go to this worksite, and he would stare down this taskmaster. And I can totally see this taskmaster looking at Moses and just taking out his whip and smacking a a Hebrew because he knew legally Moses could do nothing. He couldn't stop the beatings. And he also knew that Moses couldn't physically do anything to him because he was an Egyptian, a true Egyptian, a pure blood. And he had the position of lead taskmaster. And I, I don't think every taskmaster felt the same way against the Hebrews. I think some of them probably did their job as much as they had to, but they didn't necessarily relish the opportunities. <clears throat> Maybe when Moses was around, they would go and talk to Moses and kind of hang out and not beat anybody and not force them to keep working and keep, you know, and keep inspecting everything. But there were others who relished the opportunity to beat down this, this nation of people that were in defiance of the, of the Pharaoh, in defiance of the Egyptian gods. All of this was going on, I believe, in order to justify what happened next. <clears throat> he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way or that way. He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. I'm sorry, you, you don't get to that level of activity without a whole lot of previous activity, which is where my imagination went over the last 20 minutes. I don't think Moses had killing in his heart. I don't think he was trained in the philosophies and culture of the world to be like, I can just kill anybody I want. <clears throat> because if he had that kind of, um, we'll say, power, he, would, he wouldn't have stood for it, ever. Do you understand it wasn't this was not the first time he saw a beating of a Hebrew. But he did understand that as a as a pharaoh prince, he couldn't just go out killing taskmasters. That's why I think that this guy that he killed was the antagonist. I think he looked at this guy and thought, if I can take this guy out, if I can silence his voice, then then maybe I'll make some headway regarding my people. Maybe. And I don't think this was like an, uh, an impromptu, impulsive decision on, on Moses' part. I think this went through years of observation and antagonism and back and forth. And occasionally Moses would win one. Or Moses would, you know, would go off to battle with the, with the armies, come back a victor. And in his victory and in his popularity, he would look at this taskmaster and he would make some comment about, I'm coming for you. I don't know. I don't know if he did this. But I believe he had a role 
in keeping an eye on this guy. I think he had a he he periodically thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And ultimately, he lands on, I'm going to have to take him out. If I get a chance, I got to take him out. Maybe he tried to do it politically. Maybe he tried to get dirt on him. I don't I don't know what dirt would be in Egypt, but maybe he tried. Maybe he tried to get him discredited. Maybe he tried to get him demoted. Maybe he tried to get somebody promoted over the top of him that, that was friendly with Moses. But I believe he believed, or at least hoped, that by talking, it would work, and it, and it didn't. And then I think he looked at it and thought, if I take one, if I take the top guy out, because he seems to control everything. And maybe things will get better for my people. Now, just for what it's worth, the, the Jewish traditions uh, honestly make Moses out to be almost a sinless, godlike character. And I understand why they do that academically. I really do. It's hard for me to imagine. But any time that they see Moses doing something wrong, they, they have their own heartfelt desire to make sure he didn't actually do anything wrong. So when it comes to killing this guy, it says when uh, they, they take the word, um, the word saw, like he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, that word saw, they, they go with this idea that, um, uh, that this word, the writing of this word, actually when he saw him, it caused the death of this man because he saw with the eyes of God and God killed the taskmaster. Now, I understand they have to do that because Moses can't be the killer, but somehow, you know, God can be the killer because God is righteous and God's the judge and God is holy and we don't understand his ways and he can kill whoever he wants, whatever he wants, but, you know, this guy was deserving of death and so therefore God took him out. As you know, if you listen to the epic narrative, I don't think God behaves that way, but I do know that the Hebrews do believe that God behaves that way. And so I understand their writings of this, and I do understand that most evangelicals believe that God behaves this way. And so they would read this and possibly think the same thing and think, well, good, God's doing what God does. But Moses is, for some people, is just behaving like God at this point. He sees something that's incredibly unjust and he steps in. I just don't think this is the first day that death or murder, I should say, crossed his mind, especially with this particular taskmaster. It could be. It could, it could be impulsive. But like I said, I, don't, I just don't think it was. I think this has been building for years. He knew that this would be a high-risk move. He knew that. But he had tried all the other options. I think now he's walking out and he's hanging out watching this guy thinking, I just need an opportunity. I need an opportunity. Maybe he wanted one opportunity. Maybe he just wanted to put a beat down on him. But I'm guessing he started going out there alone without his entourage. He started dressing, I would say, less royal. You know, I'm sure they had kind of casual day for the prince. And he would wear those type of clothing. Something that would make him a little less noticeable. And, and it's crazy, right? When you're in charge of stuff, 
people people notice you even if you don't want to be noticed i i <laughs> i haven't been in charge of much in my life i've often been like at what i would call like a second tier right most of the most of the places i've been employed have been hierarchies and i'm not the man on top but i've been in positions that are close to the top and i get this people just notice you you can try not to be noticed they just do they know who you are and ta- all the taskmasters would have known who Moses was. All the servants would have known who Moses was. All the slave... Listen, the Hebrews knew Moses was Hebrew. They knew the story that he was that he was placed in the river and miraculously saved by Yahweh. There was rumors and, and innuendos that at his birth, you know, there was a glow in the room or a shining of his face. That his mother saw that he was beautiful. There's this there's a whole miraculous world in which he was kept from kept from death for 3 months. And and the God protected him, Yahweh protected him. Moses was somebody who they looked up to as their potential ruler or at least deliverer at some level someday. The elders and priests would have been aware of Moses in the courtrooms of of Egypt making suggestions and trying from his level best to make life easier for the Hebrews. And maybe they put all their hope in the fact that someday Moses would be Pharaoh and then, and then they'd all be, quote, freed, but freed from slavery, not necessarily sent back to Canaan. So Moses, Moses had both sides watching him. And Moses, in essence, had enemies on both sides. Because when when he would make these suggestions, there were lots of people in Egypt that were like, you know, I, I okay, fine, the river God spit him out, but he's not one of us. And he keeps making these suggestions like, like the Hebrews are his people. Well, I'm sorry, big fella, they're not. And I, I have no doubt that there were people who did not want him to be the next Pharaoh, who did not want another Hebrew ruler, even though Joseph saved them and brought them into prosperity. No, not another one, not Moses. And they probably looked at his stuttering as an indication that he should never speak for their nation, that he should never be their ruler. And I would imagine that many times... In, in very tense moments in the courtroom, when Moses would try to speak and he would stutter, he would get interrupted. And maybe even by his grandfather, who was trying to balance having a Hebrew prince. And again, did he look like it? No, he looked like an Egyptian. He was raised like an Egyptian. He had makeup and clothing like an Egyptian, but they knew who he was. So he didn't, he didn't have a, you know, a nation of friends on one side and a nation of enemies on the other. And from the Hebrews' perspective, it's like every time Moses opens his mouth, it gets worse for us. Moses should just, you know, stay quiet, stay in line, and wait till he becomes king. And when he becomes king, if he wants to help us, then he can actually help us. 
It, it, it had to be a very crazy, precarious position for Moses to be in, given his genius abilities to, to understand everything that's going on around him. That's why I don't think this was an impulsive move, but some people do. Some people do. And it says, verse 12, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He knew this was going to be high risk because he looked both ways. But in his own mind, he tried all the other options. Now, you know, he executed this guy. I don't know how did he, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't. How do you sneak up on a taskmaster? Did he have a conversation with him? Did he, you know, come up next to him and say, you know, greetings. Greetings to you, Prince. Uh, you know, did you follow me out here on purpose? I did, yes. I'd like to speak with you. Really? What do you want to say? Do you want me to treat your people nicer, your highness? Or do you want to be one of us? I don't know. I'm just out here to talk. Well, you picked a great spot. We're all alone. Why don't you really tell me what you think? Why don't you really tell me what you want from me? I don't know. And maybe they argued. Maybe it was that just, just that subtle. Maybe Moses just pulled out a knife and stabbed him. Maybe he was like, you know what, I'm just done with this. I'm done philosophically, academically, emotionally. I'm just done. I'm done dealing with you. I'm done dealing with, with what you represent. It's over. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Chop off of your head. I don't know. Stab them in the in the heart. I'm going to kill you. And then we'll just see if life is better tomorrow. So he stabs him. Now, remember, he looked around. No one was watching. He buries him in the sand. How, how far out in the sand did this guy go? Now, I've been in, in a desert-ish area here in America when we were traveling in our RV. I walked, I purposely just walked out into the desert. It was, it was bizarre for me. I'd never, you know, done that. I've walked out in the woods of New England many times because that's where I grew up. But, but to just walk out in the desert, it's, it's bewildering how easy it is to where everything looks the same. Like I, I had ridden my bike out into this area. I, you know, kind of put my bike next to a, a noticeable shrub. And I was like, okay. And I went for a walk. And I remember coming back to my bike and I'm standing in this little ravine going, where in the, someone stole my bike. My wife's going to kill me because we had just bought these electric bikes. Right. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. And I start to get a little panicky. And, and then I was like, no, go, you know, go back up to the ridge, go back up to the ridge. I go up to, up to the ridge. I was like, wait a minute, maybe it's in that ravine. It took, it, it took me two other ravines. I, I was, they all looked the same. So I don't know how far Moses went out with this guy, but he clearly went far enough out that he didn't see anybody. And he kills the guy, he buries him in the sand, so it had to be far enough out that he didn't think someone was just going to stumble upon him the next day. And he didn't want the birds gathering around him and eating him, which would happen fairly quickly in the desert. So he had to bury him so that no one would see him and that, you know, wild animals wouldn't smell him. Did he plan on going back out? And, and taking him, for, I, I don't know, it had to be far enough out in the desert that he thought it was safe 
to do what it was that he was planning on doing. And maybe he took him out there. Maybe he met with him privately and said, hey, let's go for a walk. And he just kept walking further and further out. Maybe the taskmaster was arrogant and thought, I, you know, I hope he does try and kill me because I will, I will take him out. I don't know. This is where the imagination of who this taskmaster was is so much fun. But tomorrow didn't turn out to be better. Right? Tomorrow didn't turn out. Because somehow the word got out. Now remember, the, the royal court was not necessarily all in favor of a migrant foreigner becoming their ruler. And many, I would imagine, many politicians had looked for years for something to accuse Moses of that would allow them to pressure the Pharaoh into at least removing Moses out of the royal court, if not killing him. They were not pro-immigrant. They saw Moses as anti-Egyptian. And they watched him and watched him. They they, They wanted... Pharaoh to take him out. So here we go with the you know with the rest of the verse. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting, and he asked the one in the wrong, "Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew?" Now there's a lot of family verse of, of, uh, nuances in these words. He's basically saying, "Hey, I'm one of you. I'm just I'm just trying to you know inspire a better life for everyone. Why are you hitting each other? You're clearly in the wrong." And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking you're killing me like you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Wow. Now, I don't know who told who. I don't know if the person that, that you know, if the person that the taskmaster had been beating before Moses killed him kind of followed what was going on. I don't know if people followed his tracks out into the desert and found the body. I don't know, and I don't think Moses ever found out. But when he breaks apart these two Hebrews, he's thinking they're going to be inspired by me. They're going to, like they need a leader. I am a leader. Like who could deny that? Who could deny his character and his, and his abilities and his genius? I believe that Moses really thought, now that the taskmaster is dead, the big one, the one that I've, that, you know, clearly makes life so rough, I can now rule both. Maybe he thought in his own way he'd go to his, his, uh, his grandfather and say, let me rule the Hebrews, and then when you die, I'll, I'll, I'll rule the Egyptians and you know, Egypt will become all the greater with millions more people loyal to us. Like I'm the perfect bridge maker. I can bridge the gap between the Egyptians and the Hebrew and no longer have a divided country. I can unite the people. I can bring everyone together. And I think all of those things somehow brought it into his brain that I just need to remove the one guy who is constantly keeping me from stepping into this opportunity to build a bridge, to unite the politicians and bring the country together. And when he took him out the next day, which means he probably didn't always go back to the palace, the next day he's back where he normally is. 
and he sees two Hebrews beating on each other. He's like, yo, yo, guys, guys, what's going on? And he goes, they look at him and say, what, who, who made you a ruler? Who made you a ruler over us? You're not a judge. Wow. Moses knew right away. I've been rejected. See, what the Hebrews were communicating in that moment, just those two, but Moses took it to represent everyone. They were communicating, listen, you're just a, you're just a Hebrew version of another tyrant. We don't need you. We don't want you. We're waiting for an actual leader, somebody to lead us. And right now, we've got leaders, and they don't kill us. That's what the Hebrews were communicating. They were not inspired. They were more, actually became more protective of themselves and survival. Like, we can't even trust the Hebrew prince of Egypt. We have to, we have to protect ourselves even more from him. Because now he's a killer. Now he's a tyrant. Now granted, Moses is honestly just behaving the way he's been trained to behave. At some level, he understands that although good rulers don't always go out and kill somebody who they disagree with, ultimately they may have to do that in order to maintain power. I think that also played into his decision to take out this taskmaster. He's like, listen, I've tried everything else. And I have the final authority as far as positions in the court of, of Egypt go, I have a higher position. But when he realized what was going on and that the word had gotten out, it meant that he couldn't, he couldn't frame what happened. He, he didn't have the, the opportunity to go to his grandfather first and say, yeah, well, yeah, that taskmaster died, I guess. We can't find him. He, he had lost control of the narrative. And as a politician, that's a, that's a bad spot to be in. And so Moses knew right away, I have to get out. He knew that his enemies back in the court would be immediately calling for his head because he killed an Egyptian, a, a pure-blood Egyptian. All of this goes into his decision and we're going to pick up <laughs> the story next week on the Epic Narrative. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Have a fabulous day. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that is episode five. Crazy. Episode five, and he's about—he is just about to 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 run. I I hope, uh, you know, I I listen to it and I, I I see it like a movie, and sometimes I don't think I necessarily describe it like one. I I uh, but I hope you can see it as well. Like like Moses was, I think, incredibly complicated, incredibly intelligent, and saw huge potential in the nation of Egypt absorbing and working with the nation of the Hebrews. And, and I truly believe he saw himself as the perfect leader for both those things. He, I, I believe he saw, in his mind, a clear uh, move of God to put him in the position he was in. And 
he had the authority to do what he did. He did have the authority to kill the taskmaster. Master, master, my gosh. But he, uh, his timing is wrong, and murder is never right. And in the end, you know, his personal um, training, uh, his arrogance, his his uh, plan just ended up backfiring. The people were, uh, the Hebrews were not inspired. They didn't want him as a leader, and they made that clear to him. The next day when he was out there, and, uh, yeah, his life got complicated real fast. So complicated, right, that he's got to run next week. Anyways, that's that's another whole journey, his trip to Midian. Uh, looking forward to getting, getting into that. As you guys know, uh, I always appreciate uh, your encouragement and your words of, of your gracious words of thanks just for the perspective of a good God in the Old Testament. So many of you have reached out and said, I just never considered it, never, you know, never heard such a thing before, which is unfortunate in my head um, because, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think it's, a, it's something that should at least be an option for people to di- dialogue about. But as I said uh, last week, uh, and my Bob thought, so many preachers and teachers are kind of locked in, uh, some by choice, some some by circumstances. But either way, to consider other th- other ideas and other thoughts is just beyond their ability, and that's that's sad. But uh, I do understand it. I do. Um, but that's why we're out here, kind of breaking up new ground. And if you want to support that. Once again, there's a link uh, in the description of this podcast. There's a link on my on my webpage, uh, thebobswitzer.com. There's a link on my Facebook page, Bob Switzer. There's a link on my Instagram page uh, under Dad Switzer. If you can support us, uh, that would be awesome. It not only would help this podcast, but it will also help our our uh, ministry and our outreach to facilitate and support so many house church leaders uh, in this country and now around the world. We're picking up some from Australia as well as Europe. But again, uh, we're just we're just out here doing, you can hear my dog in the background. You hear that? That's poor Zikappa. I love that dog. Yes, he's a sweet puppy. Yes, I know. He has his own Instagram page as well. Zikappi makes me happy. All one word. Zacapi makes me happy. Anyways, he's adorable. I gotta get going. The poor guy's gonna freak out here in a minute. But if you can support us, that'd be great. Uh, just click that link. It's a it's a tax free opportunity um, brought to you by the uh, the group that we work with with home churches, Revive the Way. But it's not through their website, so you have to get there only through the link that we provide. Uh, any help you can give us would be greatly appreciated. Um, it's it's just awesome what you guys do so uh, we appreciate it have yourself a great day everyone we look forward to next week on The Epic Narrative Hey everyone thanks for listening if you like what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use you can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.